everybody. Welcome to We've Got Ward, a doof media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward, while those return to the world of parahumans. My name is Matt Freeman, and this is my co-host, Scott Daly. Scott, I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, bros of Goebbels. I love you, Machacha. I love you, Tycho Brohe. <clears throat> this is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wadbo's world of fragile love, terrible video games, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, we continue to move through Arc 19 Infrared with chapters 19.8 and 19.9. Victoria and the rest of Breakthrough mourn the lost Tristan. Then they set their sights on the noble goal of not also dying. After we learn about Sleepy Contessa's brain and the, the Black Crystal's true origin... Vicky gets to meet up with Chicken Little, who shows her how to feel the love in Shardsville. Vicky then flashes back to Dallin Family Fun Day and finds a way towards love for her power and herself. Then she meets back up with Breakthrough, who happened to be in the middle of getting a vision of the end of this war. It's bad, and it's happening soon. There's only one person who can help stop it, Matt, but that young cape is mysteriously unavailable. Matt, what do you think of these two chapters? Well, first, I just want to compliment your little synopsis there. That oh, was, thank you. That was... Top level stuff. I appreciate that. And I mean, really, this these are some very like referential chapters. I think like like going over the notes today was especially, you know, it was especially evident that there's so many threads from all over not only this book but this entire saga that are are tying into these moments. We have we have just like kind of lines thrown in here where it's a clear reference to something that happened a million words ago. And that happens multiple times. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to, to talking about those and, and why they're there and what they mean and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and not to minimize my enjoyment of these chapters because I, I loved them so much, but this is like, this is some real Matt shit. <laughs> like this yeah. is some real, some real fun, weird, like deep dive in type of Matt shit. And it's really interesting. I liked it a lot. Yeah, right. I mean, what's funny is like if I got this stuff that I really like all the time, then I would be spoiled and I wouldn't appreciate it. But sure, sure. because Wildbo saves it up for these these concentrated nuggets, that just makes it even better. Yeah, true, true. All right. Well, it's going to be a good show. Let's get into it. All right. So quick announcements. Uh, the, the, the next fan art contest has begun. The topic is acceptance and the deadline for that contest is March 4th. So create some uh, parahumans or packed themed fan art around the theme of acceptance and, yeah. and send that to us. And there's some prize money in it. Yeah, we've already gotten one entry. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a fun contest. I can't wait to see what everyone has. I, I kind of if we had waited a, a, a week, I might have made it love. But I like acceptance. I think it's a it's a good word to pick. Yeah. And those things are sort of related, sort of. They might be. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, just once again, in case you missed it last time, there's a new podcast on the Doof Media Podcast Network, and that is We Want More, the uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality read-through podcast. 
Um, check it out. You can find links on doofmedia.com. And if you're familiar with that story, I think you'd enjoy it. And if you're not familiar with that story, this might be a good opportunity to do your first read through. I have not read that story and I, I can't do a read through because I have to read packed for every spare moment of every day I have until all packed up next month. Yes, that's very important. But I will say, <laughs> I will say I forgot how much I liked methods of rationality. Um, I mean, I always knew I liked it, but just, just like familiarizing myself with the podcast, I'm like, yeah, this was awesome. Fair. All right. That's fair. That's fair. Mo- moving on to parahumans. Let's do it. 19.8. And picking up from the last uh, episode, the TM reacts to the news of Tristan's death. What I really like about the way this opens, Matt, is we have Victoria doing a very like standard Victoria thing where she like almost immediately shifts blame onto herself. I mean, she says we here, but like the undercurrent of that is that is I, um, the first sentence of the chapter is why hadn't, why had we let him stay leaving him to fight without all his teammates at his side? And you know, like I can, I can feel the I there, right? Like she says we, but why did I let him do this? Um, yeah, I, and, I think you're right. And I like, I don't, the one half of me is like, this is a wonderful sentiment. Like, Victoria feels it's her responsibility to be there for him. And then he should have, if he was going to go out, maybe like go out surrounded by your team and everyone that loves you. Um, it's, it's breakthroughs responsibility. It's like what we talked about arcs and arcs ago about how these people like circle wagons around each other. And, and we talked about how there are good things and bad things about that. But in this instance, there were not enough wagons to circle around. Um, but of course we know better, right? This, this wasn't anyone's fault um except maybe tristan but even then i don't feel comfortable saying this is all your fault tristan um sometimes bad shit just happens despite your best efforts sometimes this might have been inevitable and uh in in a series of chapters here where victoria is about to have a breakthrough i think it seems fitting that she starts off this little bit like this is my fault why hadn't i done this and then gets to no that might have been worse actually no matter what had happened this might have gone down this way um i like that I think Tristan was doing something that he felt like he needed to do and, and it put him in that situation. And, uh, I mean, it's not like, it's not like he gave him the choice, right? He, he seemed yeah, yeah. pretty, he can be stubborn. We've established this as a trait of his, Yep. Um, but, but of course, Victoria is going to blame herself. That's just yeah. the way she is. But she does at least in her head, like not like not, this isn't a switch, right? It's not like she switched to, Oh, I've not blaming myself anymore, but at least in her head, she works through why hadn't I done this? Why hadn't I done this? And then moves to, well, that probably would have happened anyway, because if he had come with us, his teammates might have died and then he might have been in the same position. So it's like acknowledging that some things are just out of your control. Yeah, um, that's true, which is good for her, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I wanted to pull out this one particular line to- toward the very start of the um, of the chapter, actually. Byron, my voice cracked a bit, emotion getting to it more than I'd meant it to. Lessons from mom, age 13. No crisis was improved by getting emotional. A shitty thing to hear as a hormonal teen and a mess of doubt and second guessing now that I was older and not so sure of the lessons that had been imparted on me. So I wanted to pull it out because I think this paragraph is doing a lot mm-hmm. to set up. Um, so it's tying into Carol's um, caroling um, into the overall themes of what this <laughs> arc has been about. You know, as usual, Carol isn't strictly wrong, but her focus on appearances and like lack of warmth and humanity has yet again caused Victoria suffering yep. and, and confusion and self-doubt um, and doubt specifically is a major idea uh, at this point in the story. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good catch. And I, and I, I absolutely think 
this moment here is kind of priming us to dive back into Victoria's past in the next chapter and see uh, see Carol at her Caroliest. Um, <laughs> but I, I I do think it's it's a really good reminder generally of just how much Carol's training has done an emotional number on Victoria. Like we like <laughs> their friend just died. Like and and I know like breaking down and crying on this crystal floor and weeping is probably not the most useful response but like the idea that showing no emotion in this instance is is a thing that causes her stress and doubt over that is just like jesus christ carol like come on (laughs) sometimes it's it's not important whether or not your emotional reaction improves the situation or not right it's just authentic to have it and and to be able to just have that emotion without stressing about what that means strategically for what's going on. Yeah. It's right. just like, Oh my God, Carol. Yeah. And again, we, I think, I think we'll uh, come back to this in a sense later on when we have the flashback. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So here, Kenzie's first reaction is that she wants to double check that Tristan is actually dead using her dimensions camera. Um, and then this is basically the last we see of her. It certainly is. And I, I think it's really interesting the way this plays out because we have a Kenzie who isn't there, but is a hologram. And she like tries to grab a Byron's arm and pull him into a position to like test this out. Um, and she can't obviously because she's not there, but he follows her. And then she says, come on. She exclaimed, sounding eerily amused. Her voice echoed off the walls of this crevice, which extended 30 feet up. Let me try. And Byron does let her try, despite the fact that he really just has this absolute almost certainty that that Tristan is gone. And then the last thing we hear Kenzie say in these two chapters is stay there. I need to check on some settings and we never see her again. We don't hear from her. We don't see her. We hear about her. We're told a little bit later that she's sleeping. But considering how the end of chapter nine goes, that's clearly not true or wasn't true or something something is going on there right um and i think it's interesting to like pay attention to chicken little as he enters the story because it's clear that he knows something that he's not sharing and i think it's interesting the way the text like frames that without making it like super obvious that he's hiding something because it doesn't want to spoil the the end moment of that chapter but something's going on yeah we'll have to talk about that as we go through because i'm not even certain that i've properly picked all that stuff out yeah, I mean, it's it's I would say it's uh, well, we'll t- we'll talk about it. <laughs> Ambiguous, maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I, I'm just reminded of the f- how like a couple chapters prior to this, the chapter opened with like Kinsey's creepy laugh echoing across the landscape. Yeah. And um, it, tying into all this, like Kinsey acting fake cheerful um, has been a, a thing for a few chapters now. And so this could be just a breaking point of some kind. Yeah. 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 So Victoria takes some solace in seeing that Sveta's tears are clear, normal tear colored tears instead of black goo. Yeah. I mean, I guess get, get, uh, get strength wherever you can find it. Right. Right. I mean, my, my poor weeping teammate who's mourning the loss of her friend. Hey, her tears are clear, but I do think this is kind of a big deal just like in general, because we talked last week about this idea of permanent wins, right? This idea that Tristan had, like, I'm going to defeat my demon and it's going to be behind me and then I'll be fine and everything's going to be good and how that's kind of wrong. And Victoria uses the phrase here 
Sveta was an unadulterated win. That's how she described it. She helped fix Sveta, and it was an unadulterated win. Except we saw something last week that Victoria did not. We saw Sveta talking to Furcate about how much her body is messed up because of all the recent happenings, and she describes it as two steps forward, one step back. And so obviously things with Sveta are way more complicated. And I know she's grabbing on to this one little bit, but Sveta's journey is not over. Like this, this permanent solution is not quite as permanently fixing as Victoria was convinced it was going to be. Sveta is still going through shit. She's still having difficulty. She's still on her journey. Um, and I don't know. I just like seeing her turn to this as an, a, a, a moment of strength, a moment of unadulterated winning. And it's like, well, is it? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because I'm pretty sure that Victoria knows that it's really not. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she's in this, in this moment of loss, just kind of choosing to, to anchor onto this of like, well, well, look, her tears are normal. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's at least still true. And um, it's giving her a, a bit of like a place to stand. Sure, but, sure. but I, I do think it's maybe I don't, I don't know if I want to say alarming, but it's it's in the it's suggestive of the fact that like 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 we've talked about before, she seems to have this idea that it's only it's only it's only really progress if it's like a, a fix, a yep. permanent fix. Yep. And uh, and it's just it's just not it's just not with Sveta, and that's also just the attitude that led Tristan into the situation that he ended up in. So um, I think it's very telling that we're having, that we're seeing Victoria have this reaction right here. Yeah. While mourning the guy who succumbed to that kind of attitude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, So I really like this moment where Byron says that he got some healing from Chris, uh, which is why he's like much more functional here, here than he has been recently. Yep. And and then Chris kind of like glances at Victoria out of the corner of his eye. Like you you imagine that he's hoping she won't say anything uh, because now Chris has given healing to two very injured members of Breakthrough. And yeah. um, God forbid anyone say that he's like a helpful guy. I know. It's almost as if he like cares about these people's well-being or something. Oh, Weird. No. Yeah. Look, Chris is such an ass and he continues to be a, a, just a wonderful ass throughout this chapter. But like if if we if we step back for a moment, why is he here? Why is he here right now? Like when he was with them earlier, he said, oh, it's purely academic reasons. If I get accidentally mutated by a Titan, I can study the effect of that mutation and learn more about it. And it'll help me in my studies. And I'm sure he would give that same reason right now. Right. Like he's down here. The crystals are like the underpinning the underworld of this whole shard stuff and learning more about them helps him on his quest. Right. But he's still here. <laughs> right, he's with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel you. I mean, I think, I think you and I are on the same page that he's in denial of this part of his humanity, where he actually hears about these people, or yeah. in conflict with it. Maybe is a better way of, of phrasing that because yeah. I think that he knows. I think that he knows that this part of him feels this way, and he's sort of trying to 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 kill. You know, kill it. Mm-hmm. kill the yeah. past but he well, can't i mean it's still like when you look when you look at it logically so here's what happened like we all a breakthrough was together and then they said okay we're gonna leave and go do crystal stuff and then tristan said no i'm gonna stay 
I need to stay. My friend, my friends are out there. I need to, I owe them something. I need to stay with them. And Sveta went with him and then everyone else went on. And then when we saw the other group again, it was Victoria, uh, Kenzie and rain in the crystal world. Chris wasn't there. So he, at that point, didn't care enough to come with them. But now he's here. <laughs> now, yeah. as the rest of the team gets back together, oh, suddenly Chris is here again. So I, I, I see you, Chris. Like, I, I see you fighting against your nature here. Um, and I, I think it's fascinating. I really do. I, I love the, the Chris track that we're on. And I, yeah. I'm excited. I mean, I feel like we're going somewhere with that really soon. And I'm just on the edge of my seat permanently. Sure. sure. Yeah. So as they continue their conversation, Fortuna's crystal images play off of what they're talking about between themselves. So they experiment with this, uh, and Sveta starts using it to look at her own past, and ultimately to find the world that she came from, which is apparently Earth Tau Hei. And that's uh, pretty huge, right? That's a big reveal for Sveta's journey. I mean, you um, think so. <laughs> yeah, you would, right? And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about, because like, her journey through the story has been, I think we could loosely call it like a journey of finding yourself. And we started off the book with her almost literally taking a journey to do that. Like she's touring the multiverse with Weld, looking for the home that she lost and they never found it. Um, now she's here at the end of the story. She's got one less boyfriend, one new body and a whole new family and breakthrough. And she learns about the place that she originally came from that big mystery has been solved but the text doesn't treat it as that and i i think it's because i don't think sveta cares as much anymore i mean she, she i think she does care a little because like she step, steps into this thing and, and starts searching to her past and and she says uh, original location right like she she wants to learn this location but we don't like cut to her victoria doesn't like see her reaction to learning the name of the world and then like having it and knowing it anymore we just name it and then we kind of move on and even Sveta herself just starts talking about something else. Like it's not this big, huge reveal. And I think it is. You're exactly right. It's like it's because Sveta doesn't need that place as much anymore. She doesn't need that home anymore. I, I do think that this is just the perfect uh, use of anticlimax. Like mm -hmm. like uh, like you said, especially toward the beginning of the story, one of the first things we learned is that she was on a boat with Well looking for this uh looking for her home and, mm -hmm. and like you said now there's no more weld yeah and and there's also no more n like real need to find it like it, it is the first question she asks and it's almost like you can imagine her just like ticking off this box in her head of saying well okay i found it and yeah. um yeah i guess maybe if we survive this i'll, I'll go see but uh but what is the point at this point, right? Like she's found herself already. Yeah. I think, I don't, I don't think that, I think that there's no more answers for her there. Sure. Sure. I, I agree. I totally agree. Um, and I, I think that's a great moment for her. And, and like, as much as we had our conversation about like the, the body not being a permanent solution for Sveta, that like she is on a journey still, like we can't deny the progress that she's made on that journey. And I think this is like the epitome of it to me. Yeah, I think so. I'm also really interested in the fact that it was Jeff, the nice number boy, that told her the location, right? Like the scene could have been written as the map just had the name on it. Like the map just said Earth Tauhi or Contessa's memory like says it aloud, like subject was found on blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm -hmm. But instead, the text has 
number boy five, look at the map on the wall, recognize it, and then say it out loud and share the information with Sveta, which I think is like goes a long distance towards this kind of weird relationship she has with this this like this kid that is like this example of of the people she hated, but really trying to make amends. Um, I don't know. I just loved that little detail, like that it was there was Jeff our nice number boy that decided to do that. I, I agree. I love Jeff being here in the first place. I think this is so clever because, I mean, just from a um, making all of this work f- fluidly standpoint, it's so helpful to have um, an ex-Cauldron person who knows all this stuff, who is basically Kurt. He, he is basically number man. He knows yeah. everything number man knows, basically. and. Sure. And, and but but he's really cooperative. He's not standoffish. He's not passive aggressive like all of the other cauldron people always are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so it's here, like here at this point in the story, you kind of just want to get past all that stuff. And if there needs to be an info dump, then let's do the info dump and then move on. And Jeff serves that purpose perfectly. Je- Jeff in concert with the images in these crystals. He's basically there to be like all right, well, we can't really convey this certain thing with the crystal in an elegant way, so we're going to have Jeff say what this is. And, and yeah. all told, I think it makes this scene very uh, fluid and seamless. Like, like you, don't, you don't realize you're being given background information because it's, it's done in such a, a seamless way. Yeah, and I mean, I, I, I love that, and I totally agree. And I think it's so important that this is a version of Number Man that has maybe gone through some level of acceptance, would we say? Like, like, so it's like the only reason this version is as useful as he is is because he's here with Sveta attempting to to make amends or um, or help her or, or be with her in a way that he feels like is a failing of uh, the past version of himself. And so it kind of slides nicely into our themes too, where like he has an ex- expository purpose in this chapter, but he also has a thematic one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. He's, it's funny. I never really expected that the harbingers would be like an important addition to the story. I just thought <laughs> no. it was kind of cute. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. We'd have those, those guys hanging around. Um, and he's, he's, it's been really cool actually. Yeah. I like him. I like Jeff. Yeah. So they move on to discuss the idea that if Contessa wore herself too thin back in the day, then her power would need to supply more convoluted and detailed paths to work around her physical shortcomings. I, I really I love this line of thinking. I, I I really, really love this, Matt. And I think this is like clarity on some of the most confusing aspects of Contessa to me. Um, this idea that Contessa is or was i guess still human and her brain is still a human brain and that a human brain gets tired or malnourished or just worn out it has trouble functioning and focusing on optimal levels so path to victory has to adjust because sleepy brain doesn't work as well as normal brain (laughs) Mm -hmm. so like for awake brain you could just say make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and Contessa would go, OK, I got that. But Sleepy Brain has to be like, open the cap on the peanut butter by twisting it counterclockwise for 360 degrees until cap comes off. Like it's it, it, it's still going to get you where you need to go. But Path to Victory has to compensate for Sleepy Brain. Um, and, and that is interesting, right? Because it, it adds this wrinkle to the whole thing that like it's not that path to victory could can be wrong. It's not going to be wrong in that it's going to get you where you want to go. 
but it's only as strong as the person using it. And a tired, worn down brain can forget things or lose lose focus on certain big steps. So like like you get so focused on opening that jar of peanut butter that you miss or lose track or accidentally move away from the underlying strategy for making the sandwich in the first place. Yeah. Or like in the course of moving the knife to spread the peanut butter on the bread, you accidentally kill one of your old friends. (laughs) Exactly. But you're going to make that sandwich. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting the way this conversation goes because they talk about that fact and then they're almost immediately like, yeah, but there's there's no human left in her. So sure, sure. So this limitation isn't present anymore. And it just made me wonder, is are they just talking about this because it's fun to watch your characters explore a problem? Or do you think this is actually this specific thing is going to be relevant? I think this is a kernel of something that is going to end up relevant. I think this is a piece of our puzzle and it's not like the whole puzzle itself. I think this is a little bit of it, like a little bit of this gleaned information. Cause I I don't know, like I've read, I've read these books a lot and I don't think there are too many things that are just like just in here because, Hey, it'd be fun to learn a little information. Like this is a pretty sizable section of the story where they kind of explore Contessa and path to victory. Mm -hmm. And for the story to just be like, okay, that was a fun uh, thought experiment, but moving on to actually solving the problem just doesn't seem like what the story would do. I think there's, there's a kernel of setup hidden somewhere in this conversation and I can't see it yet, but I, I think it's there. I had a very, I had basically the same reaction. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting though, because Wildbo does this pretty consistently where he's, he's, he's pretty, he's pretty efficient. In, and we've said this many times any given, any given, you know, conversation has, has many purposes, but the thing is, I think the way he does it, partially the purpose is some immediate proximal purpose, like within that scene, but then partially it's, it's giving you information that he, he can then rely on you understanding for later and he may or may not actually leverage that. Like sure, the, it, sure. it's kind of an opportunity he's giving himself. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the web serial thing, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I so, think we've talked about that a lot of times. Um, yeah. And we've called uh, it many, many different things. Right. We, yeah. <laughs> but, I think uh, we've yeah, compared I, it to juggling balls in the air, right? And you can just decide what you want to pluck. I think so. It just seemed like, it, I, I don't know why this stuck out to me exactly, but I was like, I would be totally fine if this never went anywhere because it's just interesting to talk about. But I also feel like it probably will go somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, um, Rain ends up having to step between Chris and Victoria as things start to get heated between them. Chris is expressing frustration and a very defeatist attitude that there's just nothing that they can do since like the only weakness that Contessa ever had was the human part of her and the human is gone. Yeah. And the thing is, he's kind of right. Right. Like he's like, she's probably five steps ahead. Right. And then Jeff is like, yeah, I mean, you're probably right there. Mm. But like, I think the point that Victoria's frustration here is that it's really easy to criticize someone else's idea. It's actually harder to offer your own solution. And when Chris is pressed to offer his own solution, he only talks in the past tense. He's like, well, I was going to do this and I was doing this. But Fumehood, you and your stupid friend screwed it up. And then because he's been thrown on the defensive and this is just what Chris does when he's pushed at all he just goes immediately for the jugular mm-hmm. so then he goes right to you've got your sister locked up and getting therapy for her crazy when we need crazy um it's just that's just such classic chris it's like oh no i'm i'm not even up against a wall yet but i feel like there's a wall maybe 10 feet behind me better attack as mercilessly as i can right and and the thing is it's always counterproductive like when he pushes people's buttons he just makes them angrier yeah. And it's and he kind of wants that reaction in, in a sure. certain way too. Like he'd prefer that they be angry at him than that he lose the argument. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he's yeah. an interesting character. The same basic thing happens with Sveta later when he, he makes a quip about K-63 porn and she like reaches out her death tendrils toward him. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, I like the fact that Rain steps in here, though. Like, I think just Rain coming between these two characters about to go into a fight is... I don't, I don't know if it's like... I guess I'm comfortable saying it's it's an evolution of the rain that we had at the beginning of the story that I don't know if a start of Ward rain would walk between these two characters and, and try to calm them down. I don't know. What do you think? I don't think he would have had the confidence to do that. I don't think he would have had the certainty in himself. And I mean, he, he was completely torn up with, with internal doubt. Yeah. And maybe confidence isn't, isn't the word so much as just like a a lack of faith in himself. Yeah. Um, I do think Tristan would have been that person that that would have done that. That is the that is kind of classically the role that Tristan has held, actually, yeah. and, and and maybe Rain is even trying to fill fill that void here. That's that's what it felt like to me, um, whether conscious or unconscious. Like um, that that he he steps in there and and Tristan is gone. We've lost that role and we've lost that element of the team. Um, someone needs to fill that, and mm-hmm. Rain is gonna do that because he's fucking deals that's what mm-hmm. he does um yeah that's great but, but i also think rain does it in a very rain kind of way because we've talked over and over again throughout the story about how rain has always been the guy that kind of pushes victoria a little bit right like victoria he he kind of pushes back against victoria a little bit in in places and he does it here he's getting between chris and victoria um, but he's getting between Chris and Victoria in a way where he's, he looks at Victoria and says, this isn't helping. Do you have any ideas, Victoria? Like you were just asking Chris for any ideas. Well, do you have any? And he's not saying that Chris is right here. And he's not saying that Chris was right to behave the way he did, but he is challenging Victoria again. He's challenging her to come up for ideas. And that's just like, whenever those two have been segmented off, that was his role with her. He's kind of pushing her and prodding her and challenging her to the point early in the story when it really annoyed the shit out of her and it, it hurt her relationship with him. But I think that we've grown past that a little bit. Yeah. I, I like that. Uh, you can also read him prompting her for ideas as a way of distracting her. Like, yes. like literally yes. just being like, look, I, I know that if I get Victoria thinking about Cape shit, then she <laughs> will, she will completely lose interest in this argument and just start, starts, you know, nerding out. Yeah. Um, which is what ex- exactly what happens. So. Yeah, I like that. That's true. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Um, so uh, they basically they all they start chatting about ideas. Uh, the first idea that comes up is find a way to give everybody powers. <laughs> Victoria thinks that this could provide their side with enough firepower to enforce a code of conduct, leaning pretty heavily on this Titans are to capes as capes are to people metaphor. But she acknowledges the risk that millions more capes means millions more opportunities to tighten. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know I've just been like armchair quarterbacking the Parahumans universe from this comfy chair for like three years. But I feel like the solution to the problem is not never going to be let's fuck up more people's days so badly that they get magical powers and that'll solve our problem. I just don't I just don't see that as being the solution here. Yeah, I mean, if anything it's the perfect Victoria solution because her solution to all of her life's problems has been powers. I mean, in, in her own yeah. mind, right? Like she always, right. the, the, these two chapters are about Victoria wanting powers so badly 
And of yeah. course you would want everyone to have powers. But we see I, 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 the thing I love so much about the turn these chapters take is we see that that was kind of bullshit in a way. Like her, the act of her receiving powers was not like the way she's held it up to be is like the answer to her prayers and everything she ever wanted. And that's like, true. Not at all at all. Yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll get to that. I do yeah. wonder, I don't remember if I've mentioned this theory on the show, but um, my uh, uh, one of my just kind of wild out there theories has, has been that this story ends with not everyone getting powers, but instead just no, no more powers. Mm-hmm. Like that's the solution. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, I we'll we'll talk about that. I think I think yeah. we'll have a perfect place to talk about that later. Okay. In the, All right. The story. So Byron and Rain explicitly talk about the idea that bonds or the lack thereof uh, are not what makes you a Titan or, or what makes you go Titan. Um, and, you know, I think that we pulled away from that position <laughs> in the last episode. So we're not technically wrong. Yeah, um, I, I do think it's fair to say that is definitely part of it. But I do agree that the book is kind of trying to introduce a little complexity here. It's not just lack of bonds. It's something a little bit more complicated than that. Do we want to speculate on on what it could be, Matt? I, I don't I'm I'm honestly not sure myself. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like um I feel like the I feel like we saw several examples of people um losing bonds and then that leading to the situation, but I feel like what happened was Losing bonds causes you to go into a place of uh, either either lack of self-acceptance or maybe even like self-hatred or or self-rejection or some other Mm -hmm. concept. I don't Mm -hmm. know if there's a word for so losing losing bonds precipitates that reaction inside the person. But that's not necessarily um, it's not necessarily required that you have bonds or that you lose bonds or 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 whatever like. Um, I mean, we've definitely seen repeatedly like Victor and, and, um, um, uh, shortcut, um, perfect examples of people who almost like just before tightening, basically uh, the, the most salient thing, the most superficially obvious thing was, Oh, it looks like, it looks like they just felt like they betrayed or lost important connections to people. Sure. Um, sure. but I think, I mean, in Fumud's case in particular, it's interesting because, uh, maybe a better read on that would actually be that that she she realized that she like she had betrayed herself she had lost she had she had completely violated her own kind of self-acceptance process in a way yeah. that she didn't think she would ever get back from yeah yeah because fumehood like our og non-chronos titan um had bonds with each and every one of those members of the the uh, major malfunction so I, I, it is, I think it's not wrong. It's just, there's, there's more wrinkles to it than just, well, if you don't have any friends, you turn into a Titan. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So Rain's out of the box suggestion is bringing all the existing capes into a giant cluster. (laughs) And Chris mocks him for this. More like cluster. Fuck. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think we learned some interesting information here. Like Rain says that Kiss Kill and, and Personality Bleed have been overrated, which I think is our, our author kind of um, looking at us and being like, 
you you put too much you put too much focus on those things. Uh-huh. But then Chris comes back with, well, bigger the cluster, the more it matters, um, based on the research he's done. So clustering the entire universe together might be a bad call. Um, but the interesting thing about this plan is Victoria does not reject it out of hand. Like I think she specifically says, I like the direction you're going and not in the make everyone a cluster. That will be the solution way, but perhaps some, some combination of weirdness with connections and clusters is going to be the path forward. Um, something to do with that. Not that exactly, but something in that neighborhood. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where we've talked a a billion times about how breakthrough happens to have a K 53, a K 70, a weird lab rat thing, a cluster cape like and and they um i guess whatever victoria is uh which is not a you know some 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 other non-standard thing we've got all these different kind of concepts floating around of possible paths that that could be uh crucial to the solution of this problem and and sure i mean i i almost wonder if there's not going to be some synthesis of all these ideas in the solution that they end up using yeah i mean i think that would have a certain uh, poetic nature to it um this is I mean, this is what makes me feel and I, I don't know if you feel this way, but at this point, I, I feel in my gut that we have just about every single little piece of the of of the puzzle here. Like we have been told everything at the end of these two chapters. I feel like we've been told everything that we need to know in order to solve the puzzle of what is the solution to this. Um, I can't see that picture yet. It is not clear to me. Um, maybe that's just because my prediction powers have been shaken after two straight weeks, weeks of just being abysmally wrong. Rest in peace. My poor, my poor bird annoyance theory. Um, but it just feels like in, it just feels like in this moment, like I think this feels like one of those moments where once the scope of everything is revealed, we're going to turn back to it and be like, of course, it was all here. It was all right here in this conversation and this, these two chapters. It was all here and we just hadn't seen it yet. I, I have no like actual tangible support to that. It just feels like it. I, I, I mean, I think maybe we could even find support just like th- these two chapters together feel like um, this. This is all of the. But we're laying all of the important information on the table and, and arranging it. You've already heard of most of these ideas, almost all of these ideas, and we're yeah. we're setting them out in order. And now, when when the gears start turning imminently, uh, you're not going to need any more periods of pausing to explain what's happening because we just did that. We just did that, and and that's that's sure. what this feels like. Yeah, yeah. So um, Victoria then asks why the crystal is black and we're treated to absolutely my shit. <laughs> yeah. It, it, true story. Wildbo was like, what can I write um, that will make talk Matt talk in capital letters in the script? And it was this, this scene exactly multiple times. <laughs> um, so we get the shards recollection of the encounter between the entities and then uh-huh. it gets better <laughs> as we see several previous cycles from the perspective of this Abaddon shard uh, in the first, we have like spiders and slugs fighting and or fucking and or talking. Uh, it all looks the same, apparently, and is all indeed the same thing, which is excellent. Um, <laughs> and then a planet where uh, this, sorry. Yeah. So this is a planet where every species can breed with every species. And that's that's cool. I think my favorite part about all this stuff is Chris's reaction to realizing there are more entities out there than the two we've seen. Like, because as a reader, 
we've taken this and known this as fact for like literal years, right? This has mm. been a commonality to everyone reading this story for a long, long, long time. But almost none, if not none of the characters have known that. It's all new information to them. And so Chris here reacts exactly the way you think someone would in learning that information. There's more. What the shit? It's like, <laughs> it's like this, like, it's just like this, like, universe shifting awareness um, that, like, to you and me, it's like, oh, yeah, of course there's more. We've known that. We've known about this shard. We should have we should have absolutely seen that black crystal and been like, oh, yeah, well, that's because a different entity. But um, our characters had no way of knowing that until just right now. That's so that's so great. That's that's exactly the kind of thing where I wouldn't have even noticed if Wild Bow had written this scene and just had no one remark on that mm-hmm. because it's so, like you said, it's so ingrained. But but yeah, I, I think having having Chris react to that is great. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's perfect. So then we look at the previous cycle uh, where we follow the Ponchoians uh, <laughs> uh, who we see fighting a giant monster similar to the previous cycle or the, the one that they just looked at. So apparently Abaddon was all about making his victims fight inbringers while Scion and Eden were more about making them fight each other, relatively speaking. I think we know from the um, um, simulation, from, from the Eden simulation visions, that there were always inbringers in the mix. But um, yeah, sure. but any, anyway, in both cases, we see that the species, um, by the end of their cycle, they become physically enmeshed with each other. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think Rain does the work for us by comparing that concept to clusters, right? And that does the work of uh, drawing a link between the earlier conversation our characters were having and this current one. Um, it's interesting here because I think I agree, like, we're seeing the end of the world and we're seeing that every being on these planets in these cycles were metaphorically and physically linking together to fight some big impossible threat, but they they lost. <laughs> so like that doesn't seem to be a workable solution. Like is, is the hint like if the hint here is like, yes, link yourself together. Cause that's going to work to stop it, but it doesn't. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. I, um, I don't know what the story is saying with that exactly. Like, like the, the whole thing where they become physically enmeshed. Am I miss, am I misreading and thinking that that happened in both of the previous worlds they looked at? It did. Yeah. It was so, in both of them. Yeah. So it, are we to believe that that is something that the entities did to them or is that something that they chose to do because they thought it would be an advantage? I don't I, think we have enough information to yeah, know that. Um, that's that, that was kind of the question that I was left with. Yeah. Yeah. I think annoyingly here, Sveta asks the question I really, really wanted to know, which is, have there been any cycles that have almost failed and not worked, which seems would, would to be the answer to the question. And just as we're about to see that, Imp shows up and ruins <laughs> everything. <laughs> God damn it, Imp. Um, but I think there are still clues here. Like our, our characters, at least like we're talking about those puzzle pieces and what you said, laying everything on the table. Our characters now know that Contessa Shard is unique. Um, n- I think no other or maybe uh, do we know of any other Abaddon shards? I think number boy says here that like none of the other ones are viable. Um, yeah. Almost as if like this is the only one. Um, I think that's accurate. I think this yeah. is the only one that we are aware of for sure. And I'm, yeah. I, I think it might even be safe to say that there can't be any others because they would have to be cauldron capes and therefore number boy would know about them. Fair. 
Fair. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we know this shard, or, or at least we knew this, but our characters now know Contessa Shard is unique in all the world. Um, and it maybe is part of an entity that handles things a little bit differently than the shards of this world do. Um, so, again, this is like there, there's a bigger picture here that we're like placing things in. And um, our characters just haven't like deciphered that image yet. And neither have we. But again, I think this is like like talking about the cluster capes, like talking about um the the contessa weaknesses um all these things i think are just like there's there's going to be kernels of an idea embedded in these that we just can't see yet i think you're right yep uh so like you said imp shows up or not actually she shows up via hologram i guess to talk <laughs> to the team uh she tells them kenzie's having a lie down uh and uh probable breakdown yeah and, and, and as we'll learn at the end of next chapter that's a, uh, either directly or indirectly just a lie <laughs> of some sort. And, and I, what I, I like here is that Wildbow has almost primed us to be suspicious or at least primed me to be suspicious because I'm so fucking constantly worried about Kenzie because I read that and I was immediately like, no fucking way. Kenzie loses a team member and and she's like, OK, I'm going to go sleep. That sounds exactly like what the Kenzie I know would do. Right. Like, sure. Yeah. yeah. She lost her team member. She's going to. She's going to go take a nap because yeah. when Kenzie is like super stressed and super sad and super overwhelmed, the thing she absolutely does is just sleep. Right. That's right. She, she she's does. the best at self-care. Yeah, totally. Totally. She's just like, you know, I overworked uh, my emotions. I, I think I'm just going to go take a nap for a little bit. Yeah, that sounds like Kenzie. Um, and then we have these like these multiple beats where like Imp is fiddling with the device and like Wildbo has Victoria, Chris and Rain all emphasize that just by like the little fiddling she's doing, it's breaking shit that's going to take hours to fix. And so, again, it's like, so, yeah, so that's Kenzie's just like, yeah, I'm going to take a nap. Just mess with anything you want. Don't right. don't worry about it. Yeah. Send someone to get my stuff. I'm just going to it's just like I'm just immediately suspicious <laughs> of all of this. I'm just, I was just like. No fucking way. Something's going on here. And like, I think he builds yeah. upon that suspicion as we go through the, the rest of this. Like like the least bad thing that could have happened is that she like freaked out and ran out of the room and right. they had to like chase her down or something. That's, right, right. that's the minimum. And it's probably worse than that. I, yeah. I think you're right about that. Yeah. You know, I, it's funny how like your brain hooks up on things and like like your subconscious keeps throwing things at you like you you miss something here. I keep thinking not just right now, but like over time, I keep thinking about that relatively recent scene where she's in that workshop with like the flaming screen and the sphincter screen mm -hmm. and like just her behavior there and like her attitude and like her focus. I, I was like, I really wonder if like she was up to something there and we were supposed to be noticing how weird she was behaving, but it was kind of backgrounded to everything else that was happening in the scene that's just yeah. something where like I, I I try to pay attention when my brain keeps like shoving an image in front of my eyes and that just keeps coming up to me as like a thing. But I don't yeah. know. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I I want to I want to <laughs> have a, a think on that because I, I kind of want to go back and read that. I, I don't know if that's going to matter specifically, but I think latching on this Kenzie has been up to. Some, I think Kenzie is perpetually up to something. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and she doesn't lie. But she hides and I absolutely think something's going on here. And I wonder, like, 
you know, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to the end of the second chapter, though, because I have I have theories on on Kenzie's lie down. But um, we'll we'll get to that. Sounds good. Yeah, I probably should just go back and reread that part now, knowing the direction things are going. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I just wanted to say that that Imp's name for for Kenzie is is Peep. Uh-huh. And that's just the fucking it's the best. It, yeah, it is. It's the best. Oh, my God. I it, loved it. I so, lost my mind. But how are there like thousands and thousands of people reading this story and commenting on it? <laughs> and and Wildbo still thinks of the best name that was right there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we are not entirely plugged into the um to the community so it's very possible someone proposed that name a long long time ago it's possible and I we suppose. just never saw it um I, I don't think i ever saw it i i did it's, it's fantastic it is so good <laughs> so uh, they send chicken out uh the undersiders send chicken little out to go pick up kenzie's tech which is already a bit suspicious like why do you need kenzie's tech anyway yeah uh, why why chicken little that's weird why chicken little and and just leave it who cares hey remember They'll, like i don't know like Telltale's like super protective of Chicken Little because yeah, you know, let's just, just send him into the out, just, yeah. send him out there. He's got yeah, some mercenaries whatever. with him. That's sure. that's a total tattletale move. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, Victoria flies up and locates Chicken, who tells her that Kinsey is indeed indeed not doing very well at all. Uh-huh. Uh, at, at first, Victoria is on edge because she suspects that Aiden is down here looking for Taylor's shard. Uh, but he says he's looking for imp shards so they can set something up to avoid forgetting about her. Yeah. And I just like my brain just like is I see all these things and I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, I, I, I think this is really it's it's really interesting because like this this first interaction we have where Chicken Little sees Victoria and and she's immediately like, how's Kenzie doing? And he like pulls down his mask a little bit or like adjusts his mask to look directly through the eye holes or something and says, she's not good. And then immediately goes, you didn't hear everything imp said, did you? And the, the conspiracy theorist to me is like, what, what did imp like say? Don't, don't mention Kenzie as much as possible. I'll say enough at the beginning to like, to like make suspicions, not as bad. And then that didn't work because the tech wasn't working right. Uh And so he's like trying to deflect and not mention Kenzie as much as possible. But like, also, I don't like so he's down here and I think some of the stuff is interesting, right? Like this idea that if Imp gets hurt or dies because her power is like the default is on and like really activating her power is turning off her forgetfulness and stealth stuff that if she's knocked out, um, they could just forget she exists. I think that is something that's fundamentally absolutely true, but like. Chicken Little, just go like poke around down there and figure out if there's a way to solve that. It, it's, it's just that seems so weird to me. It's really weird. I, like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I'm imagining like we're, we're in a Red Dawn scenario. There's there's enemy troopers landing on the city and and you're like, I need to send somebody to go pick up my insulin. Yeah. It's like, well, you do need your insulin. That's true. But 100 uh, percent. Yeah. But like also maybe not literally right now. Yeah. Also, maybe not like the the child you're sworn to protect yeah oh you're right yeah let me send my kid to go get my insulin yeah um yeah yeah well and it's interesting like i mean part part of the read is possible that tattletale or imp or a combination of the two of them thinks that actually chicken is safest away from them right now 
And so this is actually just sent on a fetch mission to do something that he couldn't actually like accomplish anything real with um, just to get him out of the play. Like, again, we don't know what's going on with Kenzie, right? It's, it's so weird, though. Why would you send him on a fetch mission down into the shard underworld? <laughs> I, 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 I I'm on board with the whole I don't actually know what's happening here. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I, like, you know, our, our policy, like when I feel weird about something, my my immediate reaction is, oh, I must be, I, he wants me to feel weird about this. And that's what helps. Like we know the end of these chapters, we know something hidden is going on with Kenzie. So like my paranoia is at an all time high. And so you, you add in this kind of confusion where it's just like, what, like how would chicken little fix tattletale's headaches? What is he going to do down here <laughs> to do that? Um, <laughs> because they're not in the dream world. No, you, you could maybe do that in the dream world potentially. Right. <laughs> But what's he going to do? Yeah. So like, I think you're uh, my meat reaction to all this weirdness is be like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to feel like uh, confused here because something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. OK, so Chicken Little says he found something interesting. He takes Victoria to this diamond shaped declivity where she sees Taylor making Aiden <gasps> some hot chocolate and taking oh care God. of him. And, hi, hi, Taylor. And we cried. Yeah, I I. I I do love this, um, not just because it's so nice to see Taylor, which it, of course it is, but I, I, I like that. I think it's important for the protagonist of our story to see the protagonist of the last one, but not in the way she knew her, not her at her worst, not her as the evil skitter, not her as Kepri, but as Taylor, the way we knew Taylor, the girl in the PJs and the messy hair with her big round glasses, the the decent caring person that she was for so much of that story, the person that, that got Aiden some hot chocolate and gave him a back rub. It's it's love. It's real love. And it's like a, a view of Taylor that I don't think Victoria has ever gotten to see. Um, and so I think it's I don't know. I think it's important to see this here as much as it is just a fun moment for us. I, I agree. I mean, I think even if even if Victoria had uh, the feeling that like, well, Taylor was a complicated person, I don't think she ever really looked at her humanity this way. Mm -hmm. And and it is it is a very beautiful ground grounding moment. Then then you kind of step up from it on like the meta level of writing. And I think this is just a great move because this is a button that's just guaranteed to make me emotional. Sure. Um, anytime you any, almost anytime you mention Taylor, but this is showing Taylor, showing her at this moment of, of humanity. And like you just said, reminding not only Victoria, but reminding us, oh, oh, yeah, I kind of forgot this side of Taylor. Yeah, I kind of forgot about Taylor, not the, the, the kind of the monstrous warlord Taylor, who who is so kind of larger than life that she kind of takes up your mental image of who Taylor is the farther you get away from reading worm. Sure. Sure. But that's what make worm. what that's what makes worm so good is that she is this complicated, multifaceted person and, and very human. Yeah. And I think it, it I think you're absolutely right. And I think it does really a lot to get us down this path of maybe seeing powers and seeing these things from a perspective, we haven't seen them in a long time mm -hmm. because Victoria is about to have a, a breakthrough here mm -hmm. about her powers. Yeah. 
So her arrival prompts images of moments of genuinely uncomplicated love from her family and mm-hmm. from Dean. We see her her shard parents. Yes, I mean that that's that's who those people are. But they're not just that. They're also people who loved her. Yeah. And we we see the images. It was my mother holding a swaddled baby, her eyes full of warmth and exhaustion. It was my uncle Neil playing with an infant me. He sat cross-legged, pushing me over, knocking me off balance and messing with me, sparring on the most basic level. And Dean, beautiful, sweet Dean, walking beside me. Yeah, uh, this is huge. And it's fascinating because so far in Shard World, all we've seen is is pretty negative facets, right? Anger, doubt, grief, annoyance, the worst moments, the worst times, the most depressing, the te- most terrible thing. We've been kind of wondering... Uh, us and I think some other readers like if the shards were recording everything or just the stuff they thought they could use just the bad stuff mm-hmm. and this is definitive proof that no th- there's love here it's it's maybe it's just this little tiny diamond imprint in the middle of nowheresville shardland but it exists it's here um and I, I think you said the most important thing about this is that it's it's love that connects them these are wastes shard parents yes but they are also people that love Victoria. It's it's both. Um, and then we see this. Is this you? That was only one thing that there was only one thing that connected these people to me. Fragile one. Only one sentiment. I blinked rapidly and then wiped away tears. Th- these people are connected to Victoria via the via the love they have for her. But they're also connected to fragile one via the whole budding thing. So it's it's not just a shard connection. It's not just a love connection. It's both yeah it's it's very very cool and it's i I actually really like how not explicit it is Mm -hmm. we understand how all this stuff works well enough that wild bow can just kind of serve this up to us and and we totally understand and buy victoria's shift here yeah yeah because here she realizes that this is where fragile one comes from and that her shard loves her in 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 whatever sense you know works uh, and and as something clicks inside her, uh, she suddenly has more control than ever that she has the control needed to give her shard a hug and receive one from her mm-hmm. shard. And she realizes that she loves it, too. Yeah. And so that's the end of our chapter. And this is a whole lot. And, and I want to spend a whole, whole lot of time talking about what this means. But I think the best place to do that is in the next chapter, because I think I think you're right. What What is happening here is not made explicit by the text the questions of like, what is this? What does this mean? Why, why, why did this moment cause her to, to react this way? And I think what happens is the next chapter, the flashbacks we go through flesh that out for us. It it, it takes this concept and then it explains it to us. Why did these, why did seeing these things trigger this realization? And Victoria is going to tell us in 19.9. So I want to circle back to the why of this all when we get through those flashbacks. Yeah. It's interesting because I think 1908 worked emotionally for me, even if I didn't have like 100% of the uh, clarity. Um, but yeah, that's absolutely what, what happens in 1909. I, I agree. And I think that's the cleverness of it is if, if in this moment we stopped to explain explicitly what this means, I think it dulls the emotional impact of a little bit. But I think in this case, we get we have our cake and we eat it, too. The emotional moment lands for us. It lands like like a a nuclear bomb. It's like, holy shit. And then we can step back and explore the meaning of a little bit after, after we've successfully pulled that emotion off. And I think that's what this does. Yep. 
1999, and we flash back, uh, which is a thing that we've established happens uh, in, in recent arcs. And uh, I think it eventually becomes clear that this is not just a flashback. It's more like this is an image or series of images that Victoria is is sort of watching and then thereby reliving this experience. Yeah, um, yeah. And and it's extremely well written. Just this this whole this whole part I just love. So this is preteen or young teen Victoria with Eric and Amy hanging out watching Eric play video games. And apparently these are the days immediately after Crystal's trigger. And interestingly, Crystal, who we know now as somebody who is just very, very aligned with her power and has integrated it into her life uh, at this point, wishes she'd never got it. Yeah. So I think that the thing we're going to circle around to when these visions are done is the why of it all. Why are we seeing this things? What do these things tell us about our character and her newfound love of her power and her shard? Um that's the big questions and that's the questions we're going to answer or at least try to answer here in a bit. But I think you're absolutely right that Crystal's choice at the end of the section to wish she never even got her powers, a choice that pre-trigger Victoria is almost completely incapable of understanding is so key to all this. And, and I think it's, it, it, that works, that matters, that hits for us because exactly what you said, Crystal has established this person that was so that, that her power was so integral to everything that she is. Her, her functioning on a daily life was integrated with this power. Um, that is quite the change. Quite the change. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's actually quite mysterious. You're, you're hooked because you're like, wait a minute, really? Yeah, Crystal? Yeah. Chris, this is Crystal? Wow. Right, right. Um, for, for my, yeah. for my part, though, I, I just loved the start of this. I just like the way Wildbo plays with us a little bit here. We left the last chapter with I love you too. And then we move into this and it's childish arguing and we're not in an interlude. So I think there's this moment of confusion as you open the chapter. You're like, wait, what? We last left Victoria like making out with her force field. And now we've cut to this (laughs) and it's this kind of disorientation. This like this. And of course, I think we, we learned quickly that we're in a flashback, but it's a little bit of disorientation at the start of this chapter. And I think it makes you kind of pay a little bit more attention to this childish arguing a little bit because you're a little confused. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I mean, I think I, it took me maybe a couple paragraphs to, to be like, Oh, okay. Flashback. Yeah. 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 Um, so apparently in this universe we get uh Qbert cart with, with a Q in, instead of Mario Kart. Uh, Christ, what a hellhole. Yeah. I mean, some days you feel bad for all the stuff that happened to earth bet throughout the course of the story. And some days you're just like, Scion was right. <laughs> and that's one of those days to today. I can't argue with you. <laughs> um, so uh, I want to talk a bit about this specific interaction between Victoria and Amy because it's just very simply extremely relatable sibling stuff. Like they, they're just poking and prodding at each other physically and verbally, but without without any real malice. And and, and that's it, right? Like it doesn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah. It doesn't escalate. That's just kind of how that thing goes with siblings. It's It's the equivalent of like puppies tussling and biting and shoving and then and then just like doing something else, like nothing happened because it's just, it's so, it's so real. Right. And, um, it remind it, I think it's kind of interesting because it reminds you that they had this relationship, right? Yeah, it's fantastic. And there's this kind of undercurrent of horror beneath it because we know where all of this goes, but it, it's, it is real and it is, I think it's powerful. Like once upon a time, 
this was just two sisters that like were just behaving like two sisters do where they were just poking each other and teasing each other and and like and just just being siblings. Um, And we know that that is not going to stay that way for much longer. A few a few years later and that's all gone. Um, And it's it's effective and it's horrifying. Um, It's fantastic. It really is. Yeah, I just it, it 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 hit me pretty hard, and I, I was I don't even know if I can even now trying to work my way through it. I don't even know if I can say why exactly. It's just this. It's such a like if you just cut out that this scene with no context and showed it to somebody who was unfamiliar with the story, I, I think they would just be like, "Wow, this is a great little slice of life," you know? Yeah, but of course, Wild Bo, he's like this entire conversation is just sprinkled with stuff that has multiple meaning. Yes. Um, and and like this moment here where she's kind of talking about the battle for space under the blanket. She says the battle was less about the feet and more about me trying to get her attention as much as she tried to avoid giving it to me, which of course is just like the exact opposite of like, of like the way this relationship goes forward. I mean, I mean, it plays into Victoria's aura being the thing that wants attention. Victoria's want for attention. It plays into that. And now we, and we see this like the the exact reversal of the situation is the way things are now. Where uh-huh. Just leave me alone, Amy. Just leave me alone. I don't want your attention. And it, she can't not give it. I like how it's also an example of her um, finding out what her opponent wants and denying them that. Yes, <laughs> that's you're right. That's good. That's good. We also have this really important moment here, though, Matt, where Amy is reading this book and they talk about this book. And, and Victoria asks, is Waraxia cool? She's the bad guy. And yeah, I guess. Is the good guy cool? I asked. No, Amy said, sighing. Almost never. In books. In your books, maybe. It's the appeal, isn't it? Peasants, criminals, orphans. They get a chance and they become cool by the end of the book. And oh my God, like the meaning in this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, the the question I like, the thing that I love about this section is we have these kids, they're, they're much younger and they haven't gone through some of the most horrifying events of their life that has transformed them into the people they are today. In Amy's case, uh, a a monster, but like Wildbo still gives like little kernels of who they are here. Like, like you can see, the person who Amy is in the present day in this interaction here a little bit. And I wonder, I wonder if Amy, the red queen sees herself as the good guy of her story. And she's, she's a criminal. She's an orphan, uh, a person who, who did bad things. Um, but they get, they the book gives them the chance and they become cool by the end of it. And that's why she feels like that chance is owed to her because like, this is her story. She's the good guy in her story. The story gives them the chance to be cool by the end of it. That's what I am owed. Why am I not getting that? I mean, and yeah, Holy that's, shit. <laughs> that's interesting. Cause Amy is a YA protagonist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like she's, she's a, uh, she's the quote unquote orphan child of, of, uh, of a mysterious, uh, uh, rogue mm-hmm. raised by, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to translate this into YA speak, but but you can you can do the mapping yourself. Like like you can see how she would believe this about herself even now. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny actually. Yeah, and so I I love that. It's like this is a completely innocent conversation, right? Like, but she doesn't 
it, it, it completely leads to the person that I think we see. Um, but it, we see. Yeah. It doesn't do it in, in a way that's too on the nose, though. Like, like, no, like no. I don't feel like Wild Bo, like, mapped this out to be like this, like, and, and I'm going to show exactly the the connections and the, how their relationship evolved with this conversation. It's sure it's you just see the seeds of it here because it's just organic. It's yeah. it's, a, it's these are the, these are the same people. They're just younger. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I like Amy finding dissection to be gross. It's very, very good. It's so good. I have nothing clever to say about it other than, oh, it's so, it's such a good idea. So perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Victoria's backseat driving of Eric's video game. It's, it's my favorite character moment of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's just so her, uh, <laughs> like, like as she's, as she's, you know, war gaming his, his strategy, what he should be doing and, and yeah. like basically suggesting the things that Victoria would totally say. Like, I mean, her, her, her advice centers on the need for like mobility and not taking hits which are all just like, yep, that's um, it's the power you get. <laughs> yep, yep. And like, this is why this section works so well. And we already talked about it with Amy, but here it is again with Victoria. Victoria is not the person she is in present time, but we see that person here. We see seeds of that person here. This is this is the Victoria we know in this moment. And that like the, the Wild Bill manages to sprinkle that throughout this entire section makes it so fun to read it's just so enjoyable to read because you're like i recognize that i see victoria in that the choice to kind of to kind of backseat game and like he's she's about to take over she's about to be like i'll do it like you're not doing it right just tell teach me the buttons (laughs) and i'll beat this for you and you know what i believe that she would i believe that he teaches her the buttons and in two minutes he's beaten the boss she's that that she's beaten the boss that he's stuck on like that's victoria Uh uh-huh i believe i think you're right that's that's so good. Um, so so then New Wave kind of barges in and they have a, a serious talk with the kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is another fantastic piece of writing because Carol and Sarah seem to want to take different approaches with this conversation. We see that play out here. Uh, some some members of the group are much more willing to lie about like the odds that trigger events could possibly be good. Yeah. Um, some of them are willing to say that. <laughs> Having good grades is important to ensure that you get a good trigger and a heroic power. <laughs> Holy shit, Carol. Oh, my God. There is so much here. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> like the thing that I I think we're I'm pretty confident in saying after reading this multiple times that the Dallins and the Pelhams are aware that this whole good trigger versus bad trigger thing is kind of hogwash right probably i mean i think it's possible possible that they're just like well i guess we all got bad triggers yeah it's just like statistically possible like well i mean the the like if we look at how the conversation goes like sarah starts it and then carol jumps in and says if you want it to be a good day the best you can do is be a good student a good athlete and the best person you could be strive for all those things and accomplish those things and then Sarah says, but, and then she like gives Carol like a goddamn it Carol look and then says, as far as we can tell, that's rare. So even there's a possibility that Sarah like buys into the fact that a good trigger is possible, but it's like super, super rare. And so expecting that is probably not smart. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's the difference in Sarah and Carol's tactics here. Um, Sarah is just like, it could be good or bad. Good is like super 
super rare. Um, you should do whatever you can to make it as good as possible. You should just be a good person and be mindful, but also be aware that like some days you're going to have a bad day and that could be the day it happens. It's like very kind of motherly shit, like prepping you, like hoping for the best, but prepping you for the worst. Right. And then Carol's like, and that means get fucking good grades, Amy, and join clubs. And if you don't get it, you're like, like it's, I, I compared this, like Sarah is kind of like Santa Claus where she might not believe this whole thing. She might like, she might kind of believe it's true. Um, but on some level knows it's probably bullshit, but she's like, showing them this idea of Santa Claus to make them feel a little bit better. But to Car- Carol is like, this is a boogeyman. So like Sarah's like, well, be good. Try to be the best you can. Um, and, and like placating them a little bit, but to Carol, it's like, do this stuff or else do this stuff or else if, and, and, and the, the result of that is if you get a bad trigger, if you get a bad power, um, obviously that means that you are a bad person. Yeah. It's your fault. Yep. Yeah uh jesus <laughs> yeah um which, I, which my reaction to that was like well i guess amy studied hard because she yeah, got like, like the strongest power in the setting but yeah such a good power she um, heals people wow. yeah yeah and and can break all the limits on powers and shit but anyway mm-hmm. um yeah i mean it's 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 perfectly who these two women are yeah um, yeah and and uh i feel like we've gotten to know sarah pretty well at this point actually so yeah it just like like Sarah just like gentle and like and like yeah Santa maybe we'll give you a present just try to be as good as you can and then Carol like no fuck you yeah. <laughs> you better be good or else like right. she leans on the or else of it all um, yeah. and, well, and it, yeah. we see this like go through even how they talk about their trigger events because Carol tells her 13 year old daughter that like yeah I totally killed someone that's like, like she like the brutal honesty that they want of this thing where Sarah's like, well, maybe we weren't going to do that. We weren't going to go there. Yeah. Um, I I mean, just fundamentally Carol is this, she, she deals with her issues by trying to be so good that nothing bad can ever possibly happen to her. Sure. Sure. And, and and this, she's a striver, but it's not striving from a place of wanting to succeed. It's pretty much what she says here. It's striving so that bad things don't happen to you. Yeah, yeah. It's and, it's fear motivated. Right. And and there and the problem with that is if a bad thing then happens, you've been trained by your mother to make that your fault. If the way to stop bad things from happening is to be the best possible person, then bad thing happening equals you weren't the best. Sorry. Yeah. Um and that's just not the reality in any world, let alone the parahumans world. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I, I think I think it's so powerful what this what, what the effect of Carol's strategy here has on her daughter. Right. Because she says she killed someone. And then we have this this wonderful line. There was a pause, a break in the flow of conversation. And it was my mom wearing a sweater, her hair long, looking much like a mom with sunlight coming in from the window. And I could see it in her eyes. The fact that she had come to terms with that. So this is like for Victoria, a almost entire reorientation of how she looks at her mother it's like she's wearing a sweater she's probably got on some mom jeans she's got some big poofy mom hair and she's a a killer (laughs) and she's okay with that yeah yeah this isn't something that bothers her anymore yeah yeah it's uh, it's it's great it's great i mean 
th- this scene uh, is less prone to being uh, shown to random people in isolation, but but yet again, it's a <laughs> it's a just a, a lot of great dynamics between people. Yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of all the characters in the scene, is it just me or is Flashbang's explanation just the most? What? Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> single sentence in history. Um, this is Flashbang's explanation for his trigger event. <clears throat> I was on a boat when we were attacked. <laughs> no, Matt. It makes perfect. He was on a boat, Matt. What I mean, more so, do you need to know? Especially when rereading, I felt like he was going to say more, and then they just cut him off, and he didn't bother explaining further. He was on a boat. I don't <laughs> understand what more you need. Therefore. Uh, light grenade things. Yeah, he was on a boat. Gotcha. <laughs> attacked? Attacked by who? It's it's passive voice. <laughs> what? He was on a boat. Uh, oh my god. I, I don't, don't understand. I don't understand what your problem is. I totally, I'm there. I'm, I'm with him. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm glad you are. <laughs> I... I, I I read that line. I just read that line so many times. I was like, "Am I missing something? <laughs> Is this an explanation?" Oh, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um. So yeah, this this part is great as we as we move into, um, Crystal. Basically, saying she wouldn't want her powers if she could do it over, and Victoria's immediate reaction, um, after being told that this is a sensitive time. And that Crystal's in a very fragile state is, that's crazy, I said. <laughs> Victoria, my mother's voice was stern. We were just talking about sensitivity. But she can, you can fly, Crystal. And every time I do, it feels a bit like I'm still running away from those people, she said. Ugh. This is perfect. Um, this is really wonderful. And I, I, like, of course, what this is doing is setting up perfect contrast to the next section where Victoria will recall this specific memory and and note how much she feels like crystal in that moment despite the fact that like finding it just incomprehensible to feel that way beforehand yeah um and i wonder like not to go down to a rabbit hole too much but like that's the i I wonder if this informs why victoria sees non-powered people as just completely unable to understand capes because like before she got her powers, she just like she just was like, to- like, I don't I, I don't get it. How could you how could you not want your powers? Like, how could you not want that? That's totally absurd. And then we see the second she gets her powers, like she sees them as the burden they are. And and there's a huge disconnect between those two versions of herself. So she looks at humans and says they don't get they can't they can't possibly get it because I didn't get it until I had my powers. Yeah. I think that, that, that works. Yeah, I, I didn't make that connection, but I, I do like that a lot, actually. Mm. That's cool. All right, and then we, we end this section on, I hope I never get powers, my sister said. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, again, just wild bo- fucking with them, <laughs> with us. But yeah. I think this end part is important, and I think this is the part of this whole interaction that Victoria is going to grab onto later. Uh, she says, I still wanted them. I needed them. Still, for the first time, I felt trepidation. Because my mom, the toughest person I know, looked scared for me. Um, and this is a, a really rare moment in the history of Carol where we let her see her her concern for her daughter kind of come through her shield. 
Um, and that is going to be one of the moments that Victoria latches onto when talking about love here in, in a little bit. And so I think that's really important. Yeah. And then I think just to, to hook all this together, we should just skip ahead to this next, you know, the next moment we see where it's seemingly soon after Victoria has triggered and Victoria the next day, I I think think. it, yeah, she hasn't even gotten her phone out of the locker yet. Right. I think it is the the next day and Victoria meets Vista for the first time, which is really, really nice to see. Um, and, and Victoria is actually very like deferential and respectful to her, which I mean, we, we know, we know that Vista appreciates the shit out of this, right? Like just be, being treated with respect, being treated as an adult, not talked down to at all. Um, like even as she smiles and shows that she's still growing in her permanent teeth, she she needs she just kind of relishes this this amount of uh, of respect. I think. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, if you ask the question, why are these two still friends today? It's because in this early moment, the first time they meet, Victoria extended her a kindness that she doesn't get from so many other people um yeah I, and i i hadn't put that together but you are a hundred percent right there i think it's it's really good and and i think it's especially because Vista's probably a bit upset uh because i'm pretty sure she's already like in love with Gallant at this point yeah and yeah. she knows that she knows that victoria's dating him so this is all set up to be a, a, an upsetting moment for her and Victoria just plays it so well, not even knowing that, actually. She just yeah. is just really kind to this girl. And, and Vista absorbs it and is like, all right, I, right. I, I like you. Well, and I like I like it that it's not an act or a strategy, that it's yeah. just Victoria, like, worships heroism and superheroes. And therefore, mm. just any superhero, no matter how old, anyone that's on the side of good, especially in these young times for her, is seen as someone worthy of respect. Yeah. Um, and that just so happens to endear Vista to her a whole lot. Right, right. I mean, saying that Vista is her senior is the perfect thing to say to Vista. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Vicky then goes to talk to Gallant. Uh, she's processing the aftermath of her trigger event, and she finds that she can relate to Crystal's earlier comments. Yeah. She tries to convey to Dean why it happened, uh, what pushed her to that extremity, although she can't really say it exactly um she she kind of tries to convey the feeling of it and then she wants him to tell her his trigger in response but he doesn't uh and well you know we know why uh, of course victoria does as well now yeah so. yeah because he's got that that flask power yep um i i love this i love this so much i i we have this like look at Victoria here like this girl all she ever wanted to be was a superhero she was like bred for it almost she was trained for it it's it's an expectation and she gets it because she feels all alone she feels so far away from everyone and her power allows her to fly but she triggered because she was so far away from everyone and as she said so many times in this mo- novel flying just isolates you she like she says here that like I feel everyone else is so small and nobody else can do this. It it isolates her. It removes her. It's the, just like every time Crystal was flying, she felt like she was running away from the people that were chasing her. Every time she's flying, she feels like she's flying away from the people she felt so, so separated from already. And it's perfect. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Right. I, I, I didn't even know that I was missing seeing one day after her trigger event, Victoria, yeah. but it's such a perfect moment, especially coming here as it does in the story at this point. Right. It's just beautiful. Well, she's a person that loves superpowers, loves being a hero, loves like she's 
these are things she's always, always wanted. And we see here the day after she doesn't like it. And I think that that's like one of the internal push and pulls of Victoria is this person that loves this fascinated by powers, loves heroism and hates hers a little bit, hates how they make her feel, hate what they do to her. Um, and it's this inherent contradiction here. Um, and I, I, I'm fascinated by it. Like that's, I think that's, it's like been there the whole time, but it's never quite been as clearly stated as it is here. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. It's so, so is, is your feeling that in the course of this scene, one of the major things that happens for her is she kind of mentally rearranges some things and, and gets to a place of like, Oh, I, I, I don't, or I shouldn't hate my power because, it's been doing its best and it comes from all these good places. Yes. And, and there's no, a lot of bad shits happen, but there's no reason for me to say, therefore I need to feel dark feelings about my power. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think we'll get there explicitly in a bit, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. So, so she's basically been standing around staring at the crystals for an, probably very long time because victoria Mm -hmm. um and she kind of comes back to the present and chicken asks her are you okay which is a beat i'm pretty sure we've pointed out has been (laughs) repeated many times um and victoria points out the same here and says every time the answer has been an internal fuck no and an external sort of uh, change of subject yep and I mean, we like I think that the text does a really good job of reminding us of this just before where Gallant asks her, are you OK? And she does that same exact thing. She deflects and avoids and doesn't really answer the question. But for the first time here, she answers and answers truthfully. I am better than I think I've ever been Chicken Little, um, which is a pretty huge statement there. It really is. It's so it, it hits it hit hit you right in the heart to see yeah. that. I was like, yeah. oh, like, I really hope that's true because that's yeah, that's great I, I, and like i am taking the tact here that what is happening to victoria right now is going to eventually be good for her and i will be <laughs> devastated if i am wrong um but uh-huh. that is the direction i'm taking this and i'm gonna use my relentless optimism to hold fast to that until the text tells me otherwise but that's what i'm doing right I, now so. i saved vista's life with my relentless <laughs> optimism so I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply that force right here perfect so the the deluge of memories and affirmations of connection and love and and fullness uh, just overwhelms her and it, and it centers her and she she thinks to herself she's able to take the first full deep breath of the story if not the entire you know pair humans uh, saga and you know even when she reflects and remembers all the bad shit that's happening right now it all just kind of feels like it's workable like, like she yeah. can it, it's it's still it still definitely sucks but she can withstand it. Yeah, um, it's great. It's wonderful. And and so we're here, Matt. We're at the end of the flashbacks. We're back just after the moment where Victoria looks at her force field and says, I love you, too. And so it's time to answer that question we've been kind of ruminating on here. Why did she see these flashbacks and why did these thoughts drive her to I love you? And I think this this sentence here does it all for me. The only thing that would tie these people together would be if they were the sources of my powers. And as much as I, as my family had tried to prepare me for the fact that powers came from a dark place, mine didn't, at least not like this. And I think, I think it's time, I think it's time for us to throw away this powers equal trauma metaphor once and for all. 
Um, I think it's time for us to admit that it's a little bit more complicated than that. And it probably always has been. And I think that metaphor has served us well for the last three years. I think we've used it appropriately in a lot of places, but um, it not everywhere. And powers come from trauma, often are the result of trauma, but they are not trauma of themselves. And yeah. I think that's what this 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 part of thing is exploring. Yeah, I'm I'm um not sure, you know. I, I, I think I think you're probably right that it's more complicated. I've I've kind of recently been and, and this is more of a more of a I don't know if it's a nitpick, I think it matters, but like we use the word trauma. Um trauma means two different things. It means um the thing that happened to you and the injury that you incurred right like like you say oh yeah. I, I have head trauma that means you have an injury right but sure. the, tra- the trauma was also the incident of receiving the trauma anyway the the point is well, obviously when we're saying powers are a metaphor for trauma we mean the injury the psychic injury sure but but i think there's a lot of ways of being hurt in, in a way that is lasting that aren't necessarily trauma or being changed in a way that is lasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, 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 dauntless, like you could say that was trauma. I don't think it was trauma in the same sense of like bone saws trigger. Right. Sure. Like, like it seems a bit flattening and simplistic to call both of those. Oh, those are just trauma. It's just trauma. Yeah. So, so I agree with you there that there's, there's a lot more to it. And I mean, definitely it makes it easier to talk about when, when, when you have a label to hang it on. But um, I, I think you're right. Yeah. But I mean, in this moment, we see like powers come from a dark place. Well, Victoria says mine didn't. One power came from her mom, who, despite her mistakes and frankly, <laughs> frequently idiotic behavior, loved her child, worried about her child. One came from her uncle who played baseball with her, who who tackled her as a young child and, and like wrestled with her and who who sat in a living room with the rest of the family concerned about her future. One came from her boyfriend who provided her with warmth and, and comfort when she needed it, who who had moments with her in the library where instead of just making out, they'd trade their war wounds. They'd show each other vulnerabilities of about themselves that they couldn't show anyone else. Those powers came from this person. And the problem I've had with the powers of trauma metaphor has always been this idea of how do I square it with this idea that 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 we've kind of banged on a drum multiple time where the powers are an intrinsic part of you that this idea that Tattletale has been selling us forever that it's always both. Um, and I think I, I think it's the the I think moving away from this central idea that powers equal trauma and it's not any more complicated than that is difficult to square with this because like if powers are trauma, that means trauma is a core part of your identity and an intrinsic part of you. And I'm like, well, no, not, not really. I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly part of you. How could it not be part of you? It's something that you went through that affected you greatly, but it's not all of you. And I like this idea that if your powers, your shard, if this is a core part of you as a person, that means it is a core part of the good parts of you and the bad parts of you. The shards did not just scan the bad parts. They scanned all the parts. We've seen that now. It's all in there. It's all a part of you. And you can see and choose to see that power as representative of the worst moments of your life. Or you can choose to see it as an expression of the love that the people in your life had for you. Um, like, I, like you could try to, to fly away from that power. 
try to throw up that shield to protect or you can embrace it. You can accept it. You can you can love it. And I, I think that's what's happening here. Like in these scenes, we just saw Matt. Carol did a shitty thing. Like we just we talked forever about how Carol, like the, the pressure she put on them, fucked with their heads. Um, Dean, it turns out, was lying to her. The reason why he wasn't telling his power is because he didn't have a trigger event. He, he is different and he is lying. Um, but that's not the things that Victoria focuses on when she sees these scenes. That's not the thing she's focusing on. She's focusing on the moment when she sees her mother's shield kind of fall down and she sees the genuine concern that she has for like the, the, the parental concern for her. She sees the moments that when her mom was, was just, had just birthed her and was like just these core, like perfect memories of love and happiness and acceptance. And that's what she chooses to focus on. And, and she sees her power in that light from that perspective and yeah. loves it. Yeah, I mean, I think she, what she's recognizing is that these these are all a part of her power as much as as much as the the painful moment. Um, yeah, and yeah. and then she she accepts it and she accepts herself and she loves it and she loves herself. I mean, it's yep. I I, I think it's both metaphorically and literally a moment where she is coming to be able to love herself, and and I think that's that's what allows her to take a full breath. Mm -hmm. it, it's not, it's not, I love my power. It's well, your power is part of you. It's, it's yeah. both. I love myself. Yeah. yeah. I, I love you. Fragile one. I love me. I love Victoria. Um, and yeah, I, I love God. The, the idea that I, she hasn't taken a full breath ever. <laughs> this yeah. is like the first time in her life. She's taken a full, full breath. Um, and and you talked about this, but like the way this is the text describes this moment of like I, I, it, I, it, I wasn't feeling like it was attacking me or pressing in on me. I didn't feel like a pre-existing wedge was being hammered or a weak spot tested. Those wedges were still there. Those weak spots were still there. Just they were only there in their spots. All the other stuff fucking all of the other stuff were in the spots they belonged. So it's not like this is the, the magical cure, right? Like you still have your problems. You still have the things that happen to you. You still have the, the trials and tribulations and the things that are like attack you and wedge into those weak spots are still there, but they're, they're there. Like they're not the only things, all of that other stuff was where it's supposed to be. I really, um, yeah, the, the, what you just read, I, I, I can't, uh, overstate how much I love because it's such a universal experience, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the difference between, um, being stressed out, overwhelmed, and then just everything in the universe feels like it weighs 10 times more, uh, versus being stable, uh, cared for. And then suddenly all that stuff, ah, yeah, it's, that sucks. Yeah. That's going to be annoying, but I can handle it. Yeah, but it doesn't invade every other wedge. It's yeah. like th those wedges are still there, but they don't invade every other aspect of my life. They're just where they're supposed to be. Everything else where it's supposed to be. And that's living. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's such it's such a powerful, wonderful moment. It, it's it, it it blew me away. It really it really blew me away. And yeah. I love that it comes from this idea of, hey, 
all this stuff is bad. Of course it was bad, but it doesn't have to just be bad. And you know what I love the most about it? I love that it has nothing to do with Amy. I love that it has nothing to do with what Amy did to Victoria. I love that this moments of, of self-love and self-acceptance is entirely independent of that terrible, awful thing. It is just Victoria seeing the love of the people that were around her and seeing the love that they gave to her and accepting that and accepting herself. I think that is the most powerful part of this. That's true, because Amy's Amy was prominently present in that first scene, but she didn't have a single thought about that, right? Yep. Yep. After, after watching the vision, there wasn't a like her having to reel and, and process that. It was it was her her mind focusing on what it needed to focus on, what it should have been focusing on. Yep. And uh, yeah, she's there, but it's she's yep. just there. She's in her place. She's yeah. an issue. She'll deal with her later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and this moment of acceptance doesn't go through Amy. Fuck her. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to. It goes yeah. through the other, goes through the people in my life that did love me in the in their complicated ways. Not not you. Not this person. Yeah. 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 It's great. Um, it could just keep talking about it, but there's, <laughs> we could, there's, there's more to talk about. We can, We got to go on. Um, so I just uh, I like this exchange here. I don't like heights, he told me, but I want to get back as fast as possible. Kid was a bit gallant, wasn't he? I could see why they liked him. Hey, <laughs> was that was that word choice just an oopsie or was that that intentional? I feel like it was I feel like it was not only intentional, but I feel like Victoria was making some wordplay in her in her mind. Like, I, yeah. That was the way I read that. Um, I, like I not just author that. intentional, but character intentional. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and I think it's a great it's just a great little like Victoria's whole prose style here has shifted into this like inexplicable, like like sunny disposition. You know. Yeah. Despite the the hopelessness, the world ending um, and, and all that stuff is still a problem and she knows it's still a problem. But this right now, this personal stuff isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And then we, we have another one of those moments that kind of picks at a thread that's wound throughout everything where she's uh, she's kind of gesturing at the, the landscape. She's, she says this, this entire landscape, it's not about them. Not really. It's about us. So, yeah. Um, and that's uh, if, if those of you have forgotten, that's a, a reference back to the end of Worm um, when Taylor said fighting Scion was not about him. It was about us. Um, and so Victoria has kind of found her way to a lesson about things that Taylor learned perhaps too late, right? Perhaps Taylor, Taylor came to that realization and came to that lesson just a little, just a little bit too late. Um, but Victoria maybe has learned it soon enough to where she can do something about it. Well, that's an incredibly optimistic way of framing that. (laughs) And let's keep that ball rolling. That's that's what we do here. Yeah, let's do Um, it. So Victoria has this idea. Um, we don't find out what the idea is, but she has this idea. Apparently, apparently, it's related to Tattletale's earlier uh, labeling of of a certain region of the shard space as submission related. Mm-hmm. And Victoria is like, "No, that's the wrong label. I know what it is," uh, but she doesn't yeah. tell us. And that's um, a that's a little interesting nugget there. That I, I I went back and read about that submission. I was like, "Well, what could it be? What could yeah. it be?" Because it's um, it's her and her. Uh, her mom, it's her and, and Dean, it's her and Annalise, um, Annalise, it's, uh, it's a lot of other stuff. So I, I don't, I don't want to speculate on that, but that's a little nugget that we're left with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we find out, uh, we, we don't find out what that is. We get back to the crystal 
just in time to see the most horrifying fucking vision imaginable, uh, which we then learn is the probable very near to immediate future. Yeah, this is uh wow. It is uh-huh. a power it's some powerful imagery and I love the way it ends. A hundred thousand images flickered into existence across every part of the chasm around us. What had been largely red and black was almost blindingly bright, comparatively crisp and clear. Capes, people, animals, all cringing in pain. Where able hands went to heads, knees buckled, and those fighting stopped everywhere. And then we have Victoria, our new hopeful Victoria. We lost. I breathed the words. And it's just like Wild Bill didn't have to do it that way. <laughs> like he didn't have to. Like Victoria swoops down and witnesses this thing, not knowing the thing everyone else knows, not knowing that this is just an image of the near future. She sees this as what ha- is happening right now. This has happened. It's over. And it's a, it, I think it makes the moment more powerful because our point of view character believes that this is it. This is it. Even after all the progress she just made, this is it. But it's not. Not quite. Not quite. Yeah. We have one thin chance left. Who knows? Minutes. I mean, it, f- it feels like minutes the way they're talking about it, right? Yeah, it does. It I does. mean, it might, it, might, it might be hours, but I don't and know. Maybe an, an hour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the, the chapter ends with Chicken ominously telling the team that they don't have Kenzie. What, what, and, and what does that mean? I don't yeah. know. Well, and it means like he went down there knowing it right like this happened before he even left presumably and, and he's coming clean so that was yeah. I, I agree he's they 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 basically say we need kenzie we need to get this little microphone thing working so we can talk to, to Fortuna. Fortuna, and, yeah and and he's like it's uh it's not gonna happen guys and and, and presumably he's gonna tell them like what happened with her i'm just like how freaked out should we be right 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 i mean by the time everyone is listening to this they will know the answer to this question but we we don't yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, it's monday night the chapter is not out we don't know this like it could be a lot of things right i think a lot of people have said oh maybe she's tightened or she's just gone catatonic or something like that i think the most interesting thing to me is she she's gone dream world oh. um she's found a way to hack into the dream world because Tristan's down there, because Ashley's down there, and she's lost them, and she's going to go looking for them. I mean, she's talked about that. Um, yep. Teacher had a portal that did that. So that's what I think is happening. I don't know if that's portal. Hold on. I, I yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. How, I don't know how it's going to work. But she's found. Life finds a way, and Kenzie's this is my whole life. So please Kenzie. oh man no i think you're right actually that makes perfect sense that makes Mm -hmm. way too much sense okay so um but what does that mean i i I don't know i don't know i don't know what that means i don't like all of these pieces are kind of up in the air right now and we're gonna see it all play out here pretty soon and uh it's gonna be exciting it's gonna be exciting i I probably you're probably right scott it probably will be exciting all right that wraps up that chapter it does um it is the, the end of the, the chapters this week that's right uh we have the discussion question from last week was your favorite fate worse than death from a wild blow story and what does it mean um a lot of really good answers so in some cases i couldn't really parse what the meaning was but that's not going to stop me we're still going to talk about everybody's answers yeah we're gonna 
Um, so Sarah Penguin writes about the horrible consequences of the kiss-kill phenomenon. She goes specifically into, into the three major clusters we see in the story and how uh, awful each of them is in different ways. March's cluster takes the concept of obsessive possessiveness to the worst extreme. Cradle's cluster is all about inflicting your pain and your problems on other people. And Goddess's cluster is about control and inability to accept a lack of control. Um, I, uh, I really like this answer because basically Sarah Penguin showed that there's three different meanings to these three different clusters. Yeah, yeah. I remember that's something we were trying to parse like in the middle of it uh, back back earlier in the book and i don't think we could quite get there and now uh, sarah penguin has nicely summarized those differences for us and i i totally agree i like this a lot yeah up next we have master vilheim who mentions cherish's fate in worm and how it's a three beat of her attempts to jump out of frying pans and into fires play stupid games win stupid prizes fundamentally it's about the consequences of desperate choices yeah i, I agree with that i love that and i wonder how old cherish is doing with this whole <laughs> This whole craziness. Uh, I mean, if she's lucky, she's dead. Uh, yeah, yeah, if she's lucky, yeah. Uh, no Goodbye talks about Bonesaw as a walking fate worse than death and one who um, gets a number of our characters in greater or lesser ways. Uh, basically, she, she's introduced to the story with Hack Job and Murder Rat, yeah. uh, and it only gets worse from there. I, I love I love presenting her as that, right? Like a walking fate worse than death. Like, that's what she does. <laughs> that's what she yeah. creates. Um, but but like yeah because like her her whole intro scene is this just like deluge of horrible concepts yeah (laughs) like like as you realize what hack job is it's like oh that's just one thing that she can do so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. um i I, would we want to i don't want to go this far but like if she creates fates worse than deaths is being riley a face it's being bone saw a fate worse than death in and of itself because Jack created her. Yeah. Uh, her life sucks pretty bad. Yeah, um, it does. I don't know. It does. But there's always hope for her. It's, it's true. There is. Up next, we have Daedalus Fallen, who writes about Grey Boy victims. That's a, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Grey Boy is the boogeyman that even Jack fears. His power provides the ultimate worst than worst fate in the setting endpoint from which all others are judged. Yeah. Somehow, the, the only thing in the world that could make you look at shooting a baby in the head and going... Yeah, okay. Yeah. A bunch of people talked about Grey Boy Loops. Exodus Niveau also mentions Grey Boy Loops and, and says that functionally in the story, it's something so horrifying that even hardened veterans don't dare to even look. Yeah, and Beard of Valor gets on the Grey Boy train and also says the point of Grey Boy is taking the concept of suffering that doesn't ever end and making it extremely concrete and easy to imagine. Grey Boy also serves other purposes. He's a horrible, horrible thing that Cauldron keeps around because they need him in the reserve to fight something potentially worse. And he's the thing that drives Taylor to shoot a baby. Yep. That's what we said. Yeah. I love that. It's like, I think, I think that brings to question Cauldron's methods in a way that not much else can. Because like when you're talking about the destruction of existence versus um, doing these horrible things to people. Like, I think it's a lot, it's easy to make a lot of trades, but then you introduce gray boy to it and it's like, well, we're talking about like beyond just sacrificing some people for the greater good. This is eternal or, or so long as to be nearly eternal suffering. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I really, I don't know if wild Bo like literally just sat there and like puckishly invented a setting where, <laughs> where he could just completely 
just create endless utilitarian arguments or, or ethical arguments, but it sure seems like it. <laughs> uh, Cal Subaloo V2 mentions a thing from Twig. It was, were they right? Yes, it, w- it was a red thing, if that helps people. I, it doesn't. Okay. Other people <laughs> than you. It doesn't help me. Now I'm going to read Twig and be like, oh God, that person's wearing red. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Uh, VTech325 mentions when March's girlfriend gets stuck in the featureless shard afterlife with her. I think this is a pretty, they say, I think this is a pretty blatant punishment for blindly following someone despite all morals and logic just because you're romantically interested in them. Yeah, I like that as a fate worse than death as punishment for for taking the wrong route in this case. Yeah, I like that as, as being the meaning of that of that death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terranome reminds us of Bonesaw's plans for Skitter uh, to turn her into a living hive. Uh, the worst part about it is Bonesaw's childlike glee and the idea that Taylor would be aware of what was happening to her. It doesn't happen, but you know that she could pull it off, and that's enough for you to imagine it happening, which is enough. Yeah, it's so terrifying that that even just the idea of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the idea of it gives a guy a second trigger. Yeah. So. Uh, Kyrgyzstan talks about the time Tristan kept Byron locked away for months. This fate is also relatable in a way in a way that being gray boyd isn't it's easy to imagine boredom in the in boredom and confinement byron's fate is the worst case scenario for all those built-up antagonisms and fears byron is put into the dark by his overbearing brother and forced to watch every moment as tristan lives out a better version of byron's life while byron watches yeah um like i'm i don't know whether to be like thankful or or um, upset that we never really got like a, a a lengthy moment in Byron's life during these these many months that Tristan was in control, right? Like we we get it like we get it with the right at the moment it happens, and then the next time we see this going on, it's all from Tristan's perspective. Um, yeah. So we I, really never get to experience what being Byron is like in those months. That's true. I I just kind of imagine it of like him just completely losing his sanity at a certain point and having to like painfully come back to basic functionality. Um, I don't know if if we were actually told that's what happened, but uh, yeah, I I take your point that we never actually saw what that was like. I think not seeing what what it was like just leaves it open to the imagination, though, in a way that I find horrible and, and great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to Sarwat says Blasto. Uh, enough said, basically. Uh, <laughs> true, but it, true. Yeah, but, but he, he was a bad guy who found shred, a shred of nobility uh, near the end, and then his reward was one of the worst tortures meted out in this entire saga. Yeah. So yeah. I guess yeah. that was the, the meaning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad. No good deed goes unpunished. Yeah. Uh, we wrap this thing up with Lost Man 138, who reminds us of that one character who is left in the care of her deranged family member who did unspeakable things to her over the course of several days, including mutating her into a pile of limbs and flesh and leaving her that way. Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty fitting end to this question. Yeah, I, I almost forgot about that character. Yeah. Um, For a brief moment, I had forgotten about that. Character. Right. Yeah. And I'm genuinely shocked that we didn't get to pack packed answers in here. Um, there's like. There's like five that I can think of just without even trying. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, read packed. Read, read, read packed. Um, all right. Next week's discussion question. Let's what? Do, 
Let's do it. Which one are we doing? We, I don't think we ever talked about this before we went. This one. All right, let's do it. What's your favorite example of love, any kind of love, in parahumans? I like that question. It's, it's a more difficult than you'd think. The alternate question was, <laughs> what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't, don't hurt me. Yeah. Don't hurt me no more. I agree. And that's all that we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via our email account at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85, where you'll see all my excellent, amazing Oscars reactions, which just include me just tweeting the word yes in, in with a lot of S's, because that's how I do my social media. He's not lying. <laughs> and you can see Matt's at uh, more Dinamail where he talks about, I don't know, like AI probably. Sometimes. sometimes. Most of the time. It's happened before. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not already subscribed to the We've Got Ward podcast, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts. Yeah. I'm not thinking there's going to be too many episodes left, so... You better subscribe now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and as always, you can find all the other shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you will find our brand new podcast. Well, it's not new. It's new to us. We want more. Also, you can find the Doofcast um, Deep Impact, which is also coming to its end. I am frantically reading Pact to try to finish that before the end of the month. But uh, Deep Impact. It's yeah. It's, it's, I've been listening to the old episodes from months and months ago, and Matt, did you know this show's pretty good? I I did. I'm I sort of I'm probably several months ahead of you, but I'm still not actually caught up because they release a lot of content, but it's it's great. Um and uh, man, like uh if you start binging their show now, maybe you can finish in time. I don't know. Maybe. 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 Try. I dare Try. you. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, that's that oh, yeah, also, you know, the uh, the do the right thing contest uh wrapped up recently and there were some winners announced i don't have that in front of me um do you mean the the doof the doof the right what thing did i say doof, what did i say <laughs> you, said, you just said do the right thing do, yeah the doof the doof the right thing contest yeah, it's important that we i just i i have trouble pronouncing my f's sometimes <laughs> um yeah um some some winners so that's that's cool. I wish I knew. Yeah. The, I wish I had the names to say them right now. I, I do not have them in front of me either. But three people won because that's how many spots there were. Yep, and they were great. They were great. Um, and if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, you want to support um, those those contests, uh, consider donating to Patreon.com/slash/DoofMedia. Um, supporting us at the five dollar level. Uh, $5 per month gets you access to the monthly Doof Crew Hangout sessions where we do stuff like um, act out uh, AI dungeon scenarios and, and play games together on the live stream. Um, and of course, you can vote in, in all these contests that we run, the Perry yeah. Humans Fan Art Contest, um, and hang out on the Discord with us. Yeah, we're also going to try to start just like hanging out in voice chat every once in a while with people. Yeah, or, or just kind of live streaming random things, maybe. But yeah, yeah, we're trying to do more. We're trying to do more stuff. We like our people, and we want them to feel like they're getting their value out of supporting us. So yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna give ourselves up to you. <laughs> Not like that, Jesus. Oh God. Um, <laughs> and as always, make sure you go over to Patreon.com/slash/Wildbow and donate to Wildbow because this is his world. We're just playing in it. Absolutely. 
This week, special thanks to new patrons, Bidoof's Aaron B., Diogo G., Wesley F., and Serene Nocturne. Wow, that's a lot of names. And new Doof Dancers, Scion did nothing wrong. <laughs> I feel like we've had... Anyway, and yeah, Emilio they, they, A. They upgraded. Oh. Um, they were a $1 user and upgraded to 5 so... Well, thank we you. I'm always, yeah. always good to say that phrase again out loud. Um, really appreciate all of y'all. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, I, I, I wonder if, if some of these folks aren't coming in from We Want More. And if so, welcome. I'm sure you're listening to this episode at the tail end of the Ward podcast. Yeah, we got we to gotta find a way to allocate, give shout outs to people on the shows they want shout outs for because uh-huh. that's going to be a problem going forward. Well. Yep. Don't Podcast. you worry about that, listeners. Networks. That's our job. That, that's that's <laughs> behind the scenes stuff. We're just going <laughs> to shove that right there under the carpet. Yeah, don't look at it. Look away. Look away. Yep. yep. And of course, if you cannot afford to donate, that is absolutely okay. Each and every one of you help us out just by listening, just by sharing it, just by leaving us rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. These are great, absolutely free ways to help us out, to help this show find more people and to help us grow. So thank you to all that do that. And we really, really do appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's all we've got for you this week. Next week, we find out uh, what the hell happened to Kenzie. (laughs) 